Ron and Anian. I think sometimes auto repair is a very underappreciated industry. The Car Doctor. If you can find that 16-inch trim you want for a 2012, mm-hmm. bolt yeah. it up to it. Does it fit? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. hey Hey, Ronnie and the Car Doctor here. 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. We're taking no prisoners today here on the Car Doctor. We're here to fix your car and solve your problem. 855-560-9900. More information at cardoctorshow.com. Links there to tune in, iHeart, iTunes.com, all podcasting sources, Google Play, uh, another company that's out there podcasting the car doctor and letting you take him with you wherever you want to go. Information about this radio show there as well. And if you need me during the week, it's Ron at cardoctorshow.com. I've been ranting for a while, uh, about 25 years. That's how long I'm on radio, probably longer if I've been fixing cars for 43, about oil changes. And it really struck home this week. And last hour we talked about it in the opening rant about variable valve timing and some of the things that that creates. And Issues for in the case of why an oil change has to be done in a timely, efficient manner. The 12 Odyssey that came in the shop this week really drove the nail in the coffin for the argument any other which way. 2012 Honda Odyssey came in on Thursday with a P3400 valve pause system failure. Somebody raised their hand and asked me what the valve pause system is. Yeah, you the guy in the back row. That's right. The valve pause system is part of Honda's cylinder deactivation system, where they'll make it run on four cylinders instead of six as they move the rocker arm shafts around and do different things, and it's part of the control system that incorporates that. Look at all the different things they're doing with oil. Oh, for the days when an oil oil was just meant to lubricate, cool, and carry dirt away. Now it's doing everything else. This, this P3400 fault is a problem with the oil pressure switch on the rear bank cylinder head, not activating properly, and it's a basic on-off switch. But what happened was it was in the on position, the PCM commanded, and this vehicle was running in four-cylinder mode all the time, which kind of really made for a lack of power, shall we say. After some diagnosis and disconnecting and seeing that it never changed in terms of going from off to on and vice versa, knew it was a bad switch, found a bulletin that talked about it. And here's the best part, and this is how you know the bulletin is, is just dead nuts on the money. The switches that I got from Honda were brown. The ones I took out of the car were blue. And what that tells me is they've changed vendors. They've changed and they've upgraded the part that they want to make sure nobody puts a blue switch back in. They want to make sure they're putting in brown switches because that's going to be the right color going forward. And that shows you the severity of the problem. The point I'm trying to make here is oil isn't just oil anymore. Cars are clearly not cars anymore, and the amount of electronics under the hood can't even be discussed in a single conversation. So be smart, get your oil changed on a regular basis, 
and talk to your mechanic and see what they need. And don't be out there trying to get this done, get it done as cheap as you possibly can, because cheap just doesn't work out when it comes to repairing a car. 855-560-9900. I am Ron Anini in The Car Doctor, and I'm here this hour, and I um, hope you're enjoying what you're hearing so far. And if not, give me a call and let me know what else I can do to make it better. But I am here to answer your questions and take your calls. Let's get over and start with, as we kick the garage doors open this hour, let's go over and talk to Dan, Middletown, Connecticut, 08 Dodge Avenger. Daniel, we spoke last week about this yeah. car, did we not? Yes, we did, Ryan. Refresh my memory. What was going on with it? Uh, well, I was getting like 17 codes, and I ran through the codes for you. And when you heard lost communication with body control module A, you told me to disconnect the battery, put the cables together, uh, for for a little while, then then connect it to reboot the computer system, and right. that didn't work. Okay, so do you still right. have do you still have the seventeen codes? Uh, no, I, no, I got some of them, but not all seventeen. Uh, but anyway, what's actually happening with the car is when you're driving, when I'm driving it, every time I hit the gas pedal, uh, the check engine light comes on and the oil pressure light comes on and flashes at the same time, and and um, what. And the tachometer and speedometer flutters at the same time that happens. But without my foot, when I don't, when I take my foot off the pedal, it doesn't matter how fast I'm going. I could be going 80, and nothing happens. The lights aren't on. It's like nothing's wrong. Okay, so only when I hit the gas pedal. Let me ask you this: the check engine lights coming on. What codes are there? Um, I got I got like high speed cam communication bus, EM signal circuit problem, lost communication with body control module. Okay. Invalid data received from seatbelt. Okay, so Retention, so uh, so this car has a slew of communication faults. Right, it's, seven. It's, yeah, it right. was seventeen at one time. Right, it was seventeen at one time. So uh, let's just let's start the conversation here. I don't think this is your problem, but if you've been listening long enough, you know I always kind of give you the what I don't think it is, and then we talk about what I think it is. All right? Okay. Um, I, I, I always start the question when I get cars with multiple communication faults. Do you know the history of this car, Dan? Have you, have you owned it from uh, one now? Owner, okay. One owner. Okay. One owner, 49,000 miles. Okay. Um, you know, do you think it was in an accident? Do you think it could be a flood car? Do you think it was ever no, stolen? I don't, think, I don't think so. But there were there were two leaks that I found in the car. Right. One, one was the um, the windows the wind uh, shield washer hose inside, running along the front of the hood underneath was was broken, and when it was turned on, water would be coming from that. Right. And then on the trunk in the trunk, when I lifted the trunk, I heard water when I lifted it up inside the trunk panel. E. See, you know, water leaks just make it that much more interesting. But these, this problem just sort of came up out of nowhere and just started on its own recently, right? It's not like it's... Uh, um, right. It was it, seven weeks after I bought it, so it's not like they knew about it. Well, don't be so sure of that. That's right. This is the car you had, this is the car you had purchased from the dealer, right? Right. Yeah. Um, where I would be going is I would be focusing on the communication faults, and I would want to be I want I would want to hook up dealer level tool, good scan tool, and look to see who's on the bus. Communication diagnosis starts with seeing who's present. It's like taking attendance in a classroom. Who's here and who's not, and then you've got to go and figure out why they're not. All right. I've had everything okay. from water and bulkhead connectors. That's why I was asking about water leaks and water damage. 
I've had I've had cars that were flood cars with water issues to just connection problems to modules that just aren't alive or awake uh, that cause a problem. Every sensor, one more, one more. Go ahead. Go ahead. One more thing it does. When you drive it in reverse, nothing happens. What do you mean nothing happens? So nothing, you know, get no lights, nothing happens. Uh, it seems fine. You could drive it in reverse all day if you want. You won't have any symptoms. Oh, that's interesting. Could that, could that maybe be could that maybe the um, I would be transmission look- module? Well, no, I would be looking more towards how the engine pivots and moves. This is a 3.5 front-wheel drive, right? Yeah. I would start thinking about how the engine pivots and moves in reverse. You're loading the engine in the wrong direction or in the opposite direction. I wonder what would happen if you power-braked it first and forward and then power-braked it in reverse because you du- could you duplicate it? Hmm. And then if, 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 if that doesn't work, I wonder what would happen if you drove the car on a lift. Get the wheels, oh, okay. get the get the wheels, you know, get the wheels a foot off the ground, secure, safe, right. but with no load on the drivetrain, such that the engine isn't straining. You know, the engine's going to be under load right. and, and and moving against right. the mounts. I wonder if the okay. problem. I wonder if the problem goes away. I mean, listen, I I still think it's important to sit there and 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 look at the data bus and see what modules are there and who's awake and who's not. But okay. I, I would also start to say, all right. So, you know, if everybody's present and then when you have the problem, if, if, if people start dropping out, now we've got to start to look at a wiring harness to look at a potential miscommunication or broken or chafed or rubbing or water, something along those lines. Okay. Makes and sense? I'll try those suggestions. I'll find out if, uh, if, the, if it does happen under no pressure. Right. Um. Right. Does that does that and, make sense uh, to you? Yeah, it does. It does. You know, uh, I'll give it. I'll give it a try. Let me see what happens. Then I'm starting to, you know, get a little more information every time I do something. Did you Did you buy this from a Chrysler dealer? No, I bought it from a used cars used car dealer. Yeah, that's I. That's the other concern I've got. So, um, the one thing you may want to do before any more time goes by is I would take that serial number, the VIN. And if you okay. know if you know anybody at your local Chrysler dealer, ask them to run the VIN. And what I'm looking what I'm looking for is I'm looking for mileage anomalies. Or, you know, I just listen, I just want I assume everybody's doing the right thing, but I just want to keep everybody above board. I'm looking for right. mileage anomalies. I'm looking for, you know, the car was in Nebraska at two hundred thousand miles and here it is in Connecticut at forty three. How'd that happen? Um, okay. that's what I kinda wanna know. So, you know, do a little more research. All right, sir. Okay. Keep me posted. All right, thank you. You're very welcome. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor here, 855-560-9900. Tom, I got a question. Tom, can we get more, you know, we don't have enough Elvis bumper music. 
We should have more Elvis bumper we music. Should have, I'll find some more. We, we keep find some more. Isn't his something? Didn't he pass in August? Uh, yes. Matter of fact, the anniversary I believe is. Um, I think it's Monday. Yeah. Next weekend, let's do some okay. Elvis music. Let's sure. do an Elvis we'll, bumper music. We'll do an show. all Elvis weekend. Yeah, an all just, Elvis just weekend. Just for you. Just for me. But you better not show up wearing bling. Not, no, not me. Why would I do that? So wait till you see me in my do. Let's get on over and uh, let's go do what we do best. Let's get on over and talk to Jason in Walnut, Iowa, and the uh, 2010 Ford Focus. Jason, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, I, uh, I have a, I'm having an idle problem. Okay. With It just, you know, whenever you put it in park... The idle jumps from 900 to, I think it's supposed to be around 900, but it, it drops down to like 400, and it just it just sits there and goes up and down, up and down. So it's it's got a surging low idle, is is, yeah. what, is what we're going to say. Uh, okay, yeah. any, any diagnosis, no check engine light, everything seems normal? No. Okay. It um, kind of seems like it's dropped a couple miles per gallon right. on the... You know, because it tells you how much, how many miles per gallon you're getting. Right. Well, here and let's. And it seems it seems like it might be a little bit lower on power too. Well, then let's let's talk about it like this. I'll tell you what I don't think it is, but it's a common complaint with that car that I want to make you aware of it. There are some known issues with the motor mounts, as as dumb as this sounds, with rocks in the engine mounts creating a rough idle or the sensation of a rough idle now you don't have that you have a rough idle and low rpm so you're a little bit different but i just want to make you aware there's a couple of bulletins out there from ford you may want to get your hands on and read they're well known that just something to be aware of there's a mount change if you want to go through that and and deal with that but again i don't that doesn't sound like your particular problem where i would go with this because you've got the anomaly right and i'll prove it to you You've got a car that doesn't run right by your own admission. It's lower than normal idle, and yet there's no check engine light, correct? Correct. So one of the things I always like to look at, the the be-all and tell-all, the kid's sister of engine diagnosis is always, when you're looking at a scan tool, is always fuel trim. It's like your kid's sister will always tell mom when you came in late the night before, fuel trim will always tell you where that engine is in terms of rich or lean, what its actual operating condition is at that moment. It is it is the big indicator. So I'd, I'd, okay. lo- I'd love to see what a scan tool tells me as far as fuel trim, short-term fuel trim, what it's actually doing. All right? It w- okay. It would not be unusual on this particular car to find a cracked air intake boot after the mass airflow, before the throttle body, they get they okay. get dry and brittle. And if you if you you know if you kind of get down in the folds of it and look at it, you'll see a small air leak or a crack. Wouldn't be the most unusual thing under the sun. And okay. one of the ways you'll see that is if you're looking at fuel trim. Fuel trim will show lean. You're starting to look for a vacuum leak. Look at the air intake duct. All right. If, yeah. if we want to argue this case from the point that it's low on power and fuel economy is dropped and, and things like that, then let's start to prove the mass airflow sensor, good or bad. One of the easiest things to do to look at mass air, I mean, there's a hundred ways to do this. I could give you a lab scope test and, and we could talk about frequency and hertz and, you know, all this stuff that will put you over the edge and I don't want to do that. If you've got your scan tool out, look at calculated load. All right. Um, okay. Are you familiar with the term at all? No. Okay. 
calculated load is a basis of how hard the engine's working. All right. What do you what okay. do you, what do you do for a living, Jason? I'm in heating and cooling. Okay. So, you know, if you have to carry a heating unit up to the top of the flight of stairs to install it, that's a pretty good calculated load, right? Your heart rate's going to yeah. go up and, you know, you're 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 going to you're going to feel the, the the strain and the grunt against that. Well, an engine does the same thing and it reports calculated load, how hard it's working to carry that heating unit in a percentage value. At wide open okay. throttle from and this is a this is an acquired taste or an acquired knack. Number one, you've got to be on a on a, on a highway or someplace where you're not around that you, you've got issues with other cars. But from a ten mile an hour kick, it's foot to the floor. Where does calculated load go? On a healthy car, a good mass airflow sensor, a good engine, you're going to see between ninety and a hundred percent. All right, okay. because it's it's the measurement of intake. It's how well volumetric efficiency is the over the is is the over the top word of how well that engine is being filled with air. It's an air pump. It's intake. All right. Yep. I want to look and see what that is on yours. If 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 foot to the floor, the best you can get is seventy five eighty percent. I'm going to tell you to clean the mass airflow sensor. Proper cleaning, you know, a proper cleaner, something, something, you know, industry approved. Get out to O'Reilly Auto Parts, O'ReillyAuto.com. You can take a look there and see what they've got. I'm sure you've got an O'Reilly Auto Parts in your neighborhood. And clean, yep. clean, clean, um, the, clean the mass there's, airflow. There's and, and one other there. thing. Go ahead. Kind of when the cars, when you just start it and you take it up and you pull up to the stop sign, you take off, it almost sounds like it's pinging a little bit, you know, because it's not. Warmed up. Right. So, like in the old days, spark knock? Or, um, I'm it, sorry, it, like like poor-grade gasoline and the timing's advanced too far? Yeah, it just, yeah, it kind of, it just kind of rattles like a, like a ping. Okay. You know, and, I mean, but it only does it when it's cool. That could be something, that could be something mechanical from startup, but here again, that can also be something fuel trim or mass airflow sensor related it's in improper combustion or incomplete combustion or something that's skewing timing causing the computer to do the wrong thing at the wrong time let's start with the diagnosis i gave you let's take a look at mass air let's take a look at fuel trim calculated load and then we can talk again next week if we have to go farther let me know if you get any check engine lights to set and that'll help in the diagnosis. I appreciate the conversation, Jason. Good luck to you and yours. I'm Ron Anini, The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Don't go away. The Car Doctor. Welcome back. We're on Naming the Car Doctor here. Yes, this is the Death Star Show where we're going to kill your car or fix it, one or the other. Let's get on over and talk to, let's go talk to Art Teaneck, New Jersey, 98 Honda Civic. Art, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Good afternoon, Ron. You yes, have sir. such an excellent show. Thank it's you, really sir. really great. Thank you, sir. I appreciate uh, that. I have a 98 Honda Civic four-cylinder, okay. and it was parked up in the top of the driveway near our outside garage, and uh, it, all the lights come on, check engine plus a number of others. I had it towed to the dealer, 
and it wound up that uh, two of the four spark plug wires were chewed up, and about four or five of the other electrical wires were, were chewed or broken. And uh, I was wondering, uh, I'm pretty sure it's a groundhog because we got a couple of big holes near the side of the house where it's parked. Have you seen this before, and is there any idea how to prevent this from happening? Yeah, I mean, you know, animals, critters and cars, as I call it, is, is, a, is a really common experience. And, you know, I, I always think to myself, we're just living in their world. We're just bothering them. So we have to, you know, take some precautions. And one of the things you can try is either mothballs under the hood. Right. And what I tell people is, you know, mothballs in a plastic bag, take a nice pick, punch some holes in it, and uh, mm-hmm. just enough to annoy them. Or mothballs in the garage area where you park the car. Now, you park the car outside all the time? Yeah, usually outside the garage but in the driveway, yes. Right. You know, either that or you're going to have to look into it. And now it gets expensive. I have a heart trap and trap the critter and relocate it and go through all that. But, you know, to protect the car, it's just a matter of mothballs. Um, there are some other things out there that people talk about. Um, I think one person told me they tried um, uh, dryer sheets. The uh, sheets okay. from the no, I'm sorry, that was for the static. What am I saying? Oh, um, right. right. But um, there are some other things out there that that annoy animals. Uh, right. You know, there are some commercial spray products mm-hmm. that you can get at your local hardware store that will drive nuisance animals away. Um, oh, that's good. Uh, unfortunately, you're driving them away to your neighbor. Um, but then if you don't like your neighbor, who cares? Well, the um, neighbor's house is empty right now. You know, perfect. No, nobody living in it. Yeah, so perfect. Let's let's drive them away. Um, yeah. But there there are some things, that, like I've treated my perimeter property, um, you know, where I live uh, with, with it, and it'll drive some of the uh, critters away. And, right. Uh, One know, other quick question way. on sure. this car, yeah, go ahead. if I may. Yeah. Uh, it has 65,000 miles on it. Am I due now for a new drive belt? It's 18 years old now. Oh, but. yeah, you were due three times over. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. And you knew that answer. You just wanted me to, you just well, wanted I, me to I, say it. Well, I knew it. it's well, It's around the mileage time, about 65, but it's uh, 18 years. So right. I guess we're, and it does ride once in a while from Jersey up to Rhode Island with, uh, with a relative. So uh, Yeah, and that's, uh, and, and you know, the problem is that, that rubber belts just like tires, just like hoses, everything else. Right. They wear out from the oxygen. And- yep, they wear out. You know, they get they get um, they have issues, and and you know it's it's just as big an issue. So, uh, sure. you know, one of, and Honda, I've got to give them credit where credit is due. They were one of the first and few of the car companies that actually said, "Hey, you know what? The belt gets to the point about six or eight years old. Change it. Yeah. Put a belt in it, sure. and I would do a belt, a water pump, and uh, the um, whole thing. The whole thing, and and oh, you know, drive it uh, another drive it another eighteen years. Sure." Is there a reason why the Japanese uh, cars tend to have the rubber belts and then Americans have a chain belt, a chain? No, and, you know, there's a couple of stories as to why, you know, it, why one has this and one has that. I know the answer. The answer for why one car is designed the way it is and the other is that way is basically because there's an accountant involved, and uh, he's counting pennies, and they figured out that they can put this component in the car and, and you know, yeah. make more Even money Even though you might it. have to change it two or three right. times over a long right. lifetime. Now, right. it, you know, it's funny, but... Uh, since 2008, 2009, timing belts have started to go away, and less cars have timing belts now more than ever before. Do I think it's going to stay that way? Maybe. I, I think what they're eventually going to go to is, you know, and they're working on it, and I'm sure it's it'll be there somewhere in my career in my lifetime, but solenoid activation of valves. So right. no more camshaft, no more moving parts, no more cam sprocket, timing belt, timing chain, anything. It'll right. be it'll be a solenoid that the computer can activate and go beep, 
Um, right. You know, such technology. Yeah, and I'm sure that won't break. Uh, you know, when it does, I'm sure it won't be $3 million to fix. But um, Oh, you know. no, I know a friend of mine had his done with a Toyota. I think it was $1,500 with yep. the water pump and yeah. everything. And it, yeah. it, it gets pricey, but, you know, the other side of it is price a new car. Stop and think about how many miles it's gone or how long you've had the oh, car. Sure. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, 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 it's still true today. Some things have changed since I started fixing cars in, on radio and so forth. But it's still true today in that... Um, you know, it's still 125 to 140 dollars a month on average to maintain a car. Right. And after that, it, it's still cheap enough to keep the car, oh, sure. rather than rather than uh, you know throw it away. So people don't realize that. It always amazes me, Art. People will stand at the counter and talk about how expensive that repair was with that seven dollar cup of Starbucks in their hand, and <laughs> I just go, yeah, but got the coffee and you know the car drove you to get the cup of coffee sure. like what are you thinking yeah. so well, i paid four six four seventy to have all the wiring done and everything and it's well worth it because if it gets this thing another year or two on the road it's fine you know i'm very well, happy and i think hanging on to an older car now makes a little more sense and here's why we were talking about this the other day cars really got hard to fix Around 2011, 2012, they got very difficult in terms of electronics, in terms of the way the manufacturers are setting things up. Um, you know, just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was talking about a Ford and their airbag systems. Mm -hmm. If the average Ford airbag has 28 possible trouble codes, that right. was bad enough. Now they've got sub-indexes on the trouble codes. So 28 trouble codes, each one can have 30 sub-indexes. Oh Start goodness. doing the math. There's oh, yeah. hundreds and hundreds of possibilities. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, who's going to fix it? Where are we going to get the parts? And the more electronic-based that vehicle is, the mm -hmm. more difficult it's going to be for the manufacturer to maintain those modules. Right. You know, stop today. Go out and try and buy a Windows XP laptop. Forget Windows 3.1. Forget, oh, yeah. you know, forget. You know what? Go try and buy a box of floppy disks. Or, or, you know, some such well, I thing. I have plenty of those. <laughs> but, well, you know what? Yeah. We're, we're all coming yeah. to your house. But my point is, <laughs> my point is, as technology marches forward, the yeah. upkeep cost and the legacy cost to maintain this goes sure. away. So yeah. those 2011, 2012 cars are tougher and tougher to deal with. Yeah. In two more years, a 2012 is going to be six going on seven years old. Right. That's when well, most I have, people get rid of a I car. Also I also have a 2000 and a 2011 Mercury Grand Marquis, and I love them. I got the last one off the line for the 2011. Yeah, and and you know so what? And, and there was a car. Uh, we just had someone bring us a 98 Crown Vic, and mm -hmm. we, we put a bunch of front end in it and some brakes. And, yeah, it was two grand. And he looked at me, and he said, it's worth every penny. He says, because I can sell it tomorrow, and some <laughs> guy will turn it into a New York City taxi cab, and I can get four grand for it without even blinking <laughs> an eye. Wow. And he's yeah. not wrong. He's not no. wrong, because those cars ran forever, too. Oh yeah, um, you know you got to remember the manufacturers don't want us to keep cars going; they want mm -hmm. us to get rid of cars because they make money when they sell cars, not when they fix Absolutely. them. And that's, that's the bottom right. line. Art, I enjoyed the conversation, thanks. sir. I got to move too. along. Th thanks very much. You're very Bye. welcome. You take good care and have a good rest of the day. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. I'm back right after this.
Ananian. Hey, 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 Ron Ananian, the car doctor. We are back at 855-560-9900. Let's roll over and see Roger Stanton, Iowa, 2011 F-350. Roger, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Happy birthday. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Um, another six decades on the planet. I'll be ready to uh, figure out what I want to do with my life. So um, what's going on? Hey, uh, 2011 F-350 with the 6.7 diesel. Okay. Uh, use it uh, towing a trailer. Had probably five ton with the trailer and the, and the load. We uh, use pickup quite a bit. And uh, 75,000 miles, it made some noise. And uh, a mile later, it was making a lot more noise. Uh-oh, I don't like where this is going. Yeah. The uh, bearings went out number two and number six cylinders down on the crankshaft. Right. Is this uh, something that, you know, what What can I draw from why this failed? Did you, do you own the vehicle from New Roger? Yes. Okay. So 70. I can already tell you're a smart diesel owner. Um, you, you know the value of diesel maintenance, it sounds like. Um, you're, you're towing with it. Uh, I, I think I, I I tend to classify diesel people, and and you sound like a guy that understands why you have to take care of a diesel and maintain it. Am I right? Uh, yeah, this is my uh, fourth one. Yeah, right. Somehow I knew that, and you know, it's it's this isn't a case of this is not a case of lack of maintenance. I would be concerned. You know, what wiped out number two and number six? And I would have been curious, do we have a, an injector issue? You know, diesel's still a very mechanical animal. And when we look at failures like that, you know, how did it wipe out the bearing? Was it lack of lubrication or was it too much fuel in the cylinder, too much squirt, and it hydrostatically locked and hammered the bearing? And, and that's what I would have liked to have seen. What's, what's common with these is they do suffer from mechanical injector failure. Dejectors fail mechanically, and they'll start to dribble and and overfuel and put too much fuel into the cylinder, and then in time they'll, for lack of a better way to say it, Tom may bleep this word, but they just pee, um, they just pee fuel, and it'll take out the cylinder in no time at all. So wow. so when when you had the engine done, you know you said you had another engine put in it. Yeah, it's a short block and took a new turbo. Right, and I'm sure that was cheap. Seven eight thousand dollars later, um, by, uh, you better double it. Yeah, it's. You know, I, I'm thinking in terms of parts, but yeah, okay. Um, you know, did anybody go through the fuel system? Did you happen to go through the injectors and and at least test they, them, flow them, and so forth? They tested. They tested all those and tested the heads, and they found nothing wrong. Correct. Uh, they mm-hmm. they asked me. You know, they were really wanting to see that the glow plugs. I know. Right. Hadn't caused a problem. And they were all okay. They replaced them all when they were there, but uh, um, they thought that could have been a problem. So I guess I just, one of my questions, I guess, for you is if these are, it's a beast for a motor. Oh, yeah, the six, this is the six, seven, correct? Correct. Yeah. And I guess my question is, is if there's been any fleet vehicles? utility guys that use them maybe for long periods of idling 
what what could you know the issues they well yeah the issues we see with some of these they do have EGR issues on certain models and they did some changes to the EGR tube assemblies and carbon and coking and things like that but that's not going to necessarily cause your issue uh, quite honestly this this truck is the favorite of there's a fleet we work on and they're they're like um, I don't know exactly what they do they're one of those companies that's very industrial the trucks have the uh, railroad trolleys on them. You know, so they're Correct. they're on the road and they're railroad cars. I call them, and you know we see them. We're we're doing EGR service and you know oil changes and filters and things like that. But engines, two fifty three hundred thousand miles still going. So it's it's not a common it's not a common conversation to have. Uh, you know, I would have loved to have seen and maybe done an oil analysis and maybe a fuel analysis, just to see. See, here's a case where an oil analysis might have paid off. You, you might have gained some knowledge for, you know, overall condition as to what was going on prior to the failure. So one quick word of advice, one quick tip before I go, because I'm up against the clock, is maybe you want to purchase a scan tool and learn how to read it and start to look at things. Diesels do have their own version of fuel trim and in terms of calculated load and just start to understand the data stream a little bit. And perhaps you'll catch that mechanical glitch before it happens by looking at an electronic sensor that way before it sets a fault code, before it costs you another fifteen grand. Yeah, there were no codes that ever yeah. came up with that. No, and I don't think there will be. But just to get in the habit of looking at a scan tool and uh, understanding what's there, I think would be a, uh, I think would be a big benefit to you, Roger. I appreciate the call, and if you want to talk scan tools, drop me an email, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. And uh, we can have that conversation as well. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Car Doctor kind of winding it up. Let's get over to talk to Rich and see what's going on with this 05 Caddy. Rich, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Thanks, Ron. Yes, uh, happy birthday to you. Thank you, sir. What's going on? All right. You got a uh, 2005 XRX Cadillac with two codes, 037 and 057, <clears throat> which are heat sensors, I believe. Right. I took it to my mechanic, and, uh, you know, he put his uh, code reader on it, and he changed out the both sensors. And he said he took it for like a 20-minute ride, and he said that everything was fine. And I live about two miles from his garage. I get home, the light's back on again. I put my code reader on, and I got the exact same codes again. Okay. So, so when I brought it back to him, I says, you know, I listen to you a lot, and uh, the definition of news never, ever works, so maybe we got to get new ones or whatever. So he said he's going to he, he got some new ones. We replaced them. The codes come back again. So kind of stuck. All right. So, you know, well, 37 and 57 are heater sensor circuit faults. It's the the PCM isn't detecting a a large enough voltage drop against heater circuit activity. It turns the the heater on in the sensor, and it's, it's expecting a certain voltage drop to occur, showing that the sensor is actually being heated up that it's going to start working at the proper time. It doesn't see that. It starts to, okay, 
flag the sensor. So, you know, why would something electrical not work? Let me ask you the question, and then I'll give you the answer. Um, If if you walked into your front door of your house and turned on the light switch and the light didn't light up, what could be wrong with it? Bulb. Bulb. Fuse. Fuse. Switch. Wiring. Component. So just because it has the fault doesn't make it the component that failed. He's really got to start to do things like an ohm test, a resistance test of the wires leading back to the PCM. He's got to verify completion. He's got to start doing things like a current draw test to see what's the sensor actually pulling in terms of an amperage. And he's got to verify that the PCM is capable of operating it as it's supposed to. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.